and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Welcome to week 26. Did you know you are now halfway through the reading of the Bible? Can you believe how far you've made it? I'm so excited for you, and it's just so freaking awesome. Ah, so glad we're at week 26. Just know that not only am I proud of you, but I know that God will bless your obedience. Let's just kind of get into it. Because this reading has had so much information and great stories, there is a lot to discuss. So to help both of us out, I have made this week into two different episodes. Both are uploaded and can be listened to when you have the time. This week is also the beginning of my drinking game. Now, since I usually listen to my Bible in the morning, I do this drinking game with coffee. Shots of espresso totally count. But I am a firm believer in the you do you boo boo decision making so however you want to play along is your choice and absolutely no judgment here please be aware that this is just for fun so if you're a puritan this is your notice to walk away how does it work every time you see read or hear and he did evil in the sight of god or he did evil in the eyes of god or some derivative thereof go ahead and take a drink and in some readings you might need a second cup if you have a hard time getting your water intake this will also help with that (laughs) this is a long episode so pick your drink with that info in mind and let's get started week 26 is 1st Kings chapters 15 through 20, 2nd Chronicles through 13 through 17, all of part one. Timeline is 913 BC to 853 BC. Let's jump in 1st Kings 15 and 2nd Chronicles chapters 13 through 16. So as we left off last week, Rehoboam's son, Abijah, takes over, but Jeroboam is still reigning over Israel. We see that Abijah committed all the same sin as his father, but God let Jerusalem prosper because of David's sake. However, there was fighting among Abijah and Jeroboam. Jeroboam tries to take over Judah, but Abijah rallies all of Judah to remind them that they are the descendants of David and that they were in the right. Israel sneaks up on Judah, but Judah cries out to the Lord and the Lord delivers them and they succeed over Israel with Abijah pursuing Jeroboam, keeping Jeroboam from reclaiming Israel and ends up killing him. We are told that Abijah had 14 wives, 22 sons, and 16 daughters. And then boom, Abijah is dead. And Abijah's son, Asa, takes over. As per our usual arrangement, the Cushites tried to go against Asa and Judah, but Asa called on God to help them be victorious, and God gave them the strength to the point that the Cushites literally die out as a major group, and the men of Judah make out with a huge amount of plunder. Truly, what a delight Asa was, as he actually did what was right in the eyes of God. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes. Don't ever let anyone tell you that all depravity started now, because it totally didn't. People have literally not changed. And we have been rationalizing our sins and desires since long after the fall of Adam. So Asa got rid of the Asher poles, any images of her, which again, we don't know what these poles or images look like, but it had to be pretty bad. He even deposed of his own grandmother for being a part of the Asherah practices. Asa was totally committed to God. So as it was with Abijah and Jeroboam, it was with Asa and Basha, who was the king of Israel. It went so far as Basha built a ramp in the city of Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering Asa's territory. But God was with Asa, and so Asa took what he had left of gold and silver, gave it to his trusted officials, and had them go to the king Aram, Uh, whose name was Ben-Hadid. Aram is where Damascus is currently located. And said, hey, make a treaty with me to have peace and stop having a treaty with Basha. Ben-Hadid 
agreed and was able to fight against some of Israel's cities, giving him and Asa a chance. Because of this, Basha withdrew from Ramah and I'm sure to regather his thoughts and his troops. Like, what on earth? Hanani who's a seer slash prophet, comes to see Asa and tells him, you relied in Aram and not God, even though you knew better. You will now have war from here on out. Asa did not appreciate that and stopped speaking to God and put Hanani into prison. Asa then brutally ordered everyone, literally no one was exempt, and tore down the ramp that was being used in Ramah and took all the plunder from that and used it to build up their cities uh, Geba and Mizpah. Then, as Asa got older, his feet began to fail him, and yet he still did not seek help from God, and then he died. If you need to take a sip of something here, I say go ahead, because dang, dude, you started so strong, but you just didn't finish that way. Kelly, side note, that is totally a fear of mine. To start so strong in the Lord and then end so horribly. So that's always a fear and that's that's what I pray about. For what was happening in Israel, Abijah's son Nadab was rightful king, but as we see, he did evil in the sight of God and continued on with his father's ways. <clears throat> Golden calves nonsense. So his brother Basha, however, was having none of that and within three years had risen against him, killed him, and then had all of the rest of the family, any descendants of Jeroboam, those that had different mothers than Abijah's son, Basha, etc., killed. See, this was actually the normal practice when a new king from a different clan took over, which is why what David did for Saul and Saul's family was very profound. Of course, Basha was no better than his brother, father, and grandfather, and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If you're keeping track, that was three drinks, and we're only in one chapter. <laughs> First Kings 16. Uh, so God comes to the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani, and says, tell Basha, I am going to wipe him off this earth, him, his family, just like I did with Jeroboam. He is wicked and has done evil in my sight. Dogs and birds will feed on him and his family. And, well, that's what happened. Not to Basha himself, but his son Ella, whose officials Zimri was like, no, not one bit, and so went to Ella, who was drinking it up and having a good time with Arza, and killed him. Then Zimri wiped out the whole family. And yet, because of the people of Israel found out that Zimri was the reason all of Elah's family is dead, they made Omri king. And Omri led the siege against Zimri, where Zimri died in Terzah, the city of the palace. I need a drink of water or something just for saying some of those words, and I apologize for any mispronunciations. It's not that Omri had an easy beginning since half of Israel was behind Tibni for king, but Omri's group was bigger and stronger and took Tibni down. And then, take a drink, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and down Omri went. My family, especially my dad and I, have a big deal about not saying it can't get any worse because no matter how bad it is, it can always get worse. And boy, does it for uh, Israel. Because um, thought it couldn't get worse with Omri. It did. Enter Ahab. He not only was more evil than the kings before him, but then he married straight evil by marrying Jezebel. So you can take a double shot because they are a package deal. He seriously rebuilt Jericho when he took the lives of two of his sons and it didn't seem to phase him a bit. First Kings 17, but the good news, God's provision comes in the name of Elijah and the clouds parted and the sun shone down and we get the angels going, oh, like that is the whole scene of what we see when we see Elijah, or at least I do. Elijah tells Ahab that no rain or dew will come down until he gives the word. God tells Elijah to go to the Kareth Ravine where ravens 
ravens will feed him by bro which really how cool is that then god has elijah go to zarephath to be a to be with a widow and her son so elijah goes and runs into the widow and is like hi uh can you get me some water and she turns to do it and he's like uh also can you get me some food she turns around and is like i don't have any bread in fact, all I have is a little flour and olive oil. These sticks, they are so I can make a last meal for my son and I, and then we are going to die. Elijah's like, don't be afraid. Go home, make the bread, bring it to me, and then make some for you and your son. God says your flour and oil will not run out until the Lord sends the rain. And I don't know what she was thinking. I personally probably would have rolled my eyes a little bit, but that's just me. But she does go and do exactly what Elijah said to do, what God said happened, like a hand full of flour and some olive oil literally never ran dry. Sometime later, the, the widow's son falls ill and dies, and she is so upset and angry, which you can't really blame her, with what happened that she lashes out at Elijah and is like, what do you and God have against me that you would take my son away from? Elijah takes the boy and then takes him to his room. He prays and begs the Lord for the boy's life. He stretches out on top of him three times, and the Lord answered Elijah, and the boy came back to life. Elijah runs him back to the widow, who is like, now I really believe you are a man of God and what you say is true. Kelly side note. I so relate to this widow sometimes even though the food never ran out just like Elijah said it took the death and raising of her son to make her truly believe. I so need a two by four sometimes. I don't know about you but uh, I also really relate to Peter uh, in the New Testament and we'll talk about it when we get there. Just saying if you two have stubborn nature and sometimes just don't get it you are not alone my friend. You are not alone. Then in 1 Kings 18 God has Elijah go and present himself to Ahab. He meets up with Obadiah and tells Obadiah to go tell Ahab he was there. Obadiah is like are you serious? Do you know what I have already done and I could have been killed. Not to mention your butt has been everywhere and people think they see you tell Ahab he gets there and you're not there and the whole town is killed you Elijah are notorious for being somewhere one minute and somewhere else far away the next minute what if I go to tell him and you're not here after Obadiah freaks out Elijah is like I'm staying here go tell Ahab so Ahab met up with Elijah is like so you're the troublemaker of Israel and Elijah is like, nope, that's you and your family. Regardless, you need to bring the people from Israel and the 450 prophets of Baal and meet me up at Mount Carmel. And Ahab did it. Once everyone arrives, Elijah is like, listen up. You need to make a choice. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The people, who I'm sure were like, uh, what are we doing here again? Said nothing. But I imagine a disgusted look on their face that most teenagers couldn't pull off. Like, ugh, what are we doing here? Seriously? Then Elijah continues his speech and says, I'm the one of God's prophets left. He wasn't the only one left. Baal has 450 get a bull for each of us, cut it up, and then see which god sets fire to the wood. People are like, hey, cool, a show. Sure, we'll go with that. So Elijah allows Ahab and the Baal prophets to go first, but you know what? Baal wasn't answering. And so Elijah, being the wonderful sarcastic man that he was, started mocking them like, hey, Baal could be asleep. You probably should shout louder. Boy, did they ever start shouting louder and they continued to hurt themselves drawing blood. And I'm sure it was quite the sight. And well, anyway, but this went on until afternoon. 
and Elijah had had enough. He goes, okay, you've had a chance, and now it's my turn. He uses 12 stones for the tribes of Israel to rebuild the altar to God. Then he dug a trench around it, which would hold approximately three and a half gallons of water. Then he has them get water and pour it over the altar to the point where it filled the trenches as well. And so it is thoroughly soaked, like so wet that fire was not going to happen. And then Elijah prayed to God, Fire came down, consumed the sacrifice on the wood, the stones, the soil, and all the water in the trench. And the people were like, dang. Yeah, yeah, the Lord is God, not Baal. Lord, yeah, that's the one. Elijah tells them to see the prof- seize the prophets of Baal, which they did, and then had them killed. Then turns to Ahab, which I personally hope with a blank eating grin, and says, <laughs> you better go eat and drink for this sound of heavy rain is here. Then as Ahab left, he turns to his servant and it says, uh, do you see any clouds? Servant's like, no. And keep asking until the servant sees a small cloud. Elijah now has the servant go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, which as you know, was the first convertible. But because it was the first, they hadn't perfected the hood, and therefore anyone driving it would get drenched. So it was good for Ahab to leave before the downpour. And then the sky grew black and started the downpour, and as Ahab is trying to get to Jezreel, God tells Elijah to run and made him faster than Ahab in his chariot and beats him to Jezreel. First Kings 19, when Ahab gets to Jezreel, he tells Jezebel everything. They may be evil people, but they had great communication skills. Unfortunately, it really pissed Jezebel off and told a messenger to tell Elijah that she was going to do everything in her power to make sure he died or God would deal with her. Elijah was like, crap, and ran for his life. He left his servant at Beersheba and then kept going. Once he got into the wilderness, he finally stopped and assessing everything just happened as it was rather overwhelming. And to be fair to Elijah, Jezebel would not only make sure Elijah died, but made sure it was a terrible death and utterly humiliating. And he cries out to God telling him that he has had enough and to take his life. And then he took a nap. An angel got him up and makes him eat. And after that, he falls back asleep again. And the angel wakens him to eat again. The food and rest made Elijah feel better. And then he traveled for 40 days and nights until he reaches Oreb, the mountain of God, and then in the cave spent the night. So everyone, what did we learn with this? Sometimes when life is overwhelming and people are out to get you, Tell God you're scared and then take a nap and then eat. Just like children, sometimes we too just need a nap and some food. Of course, once Elijah was at the cave, God is Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah is like, God, I've been working for you. And the Israelites totally destroyed your altars. All the rest of your prophets are dead. And now they're trying to kill me too. God, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Okay, Elijah. Um, Elijah, go and look out the cave. I'm going to pass by you. Elijah follows God's command. And there was wind. I'm assuming tornado-like winds, but no God. Then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in that. Instead, it was in a whisper that was so powerful. Elijah had to pull his cloak over his face. And God asked him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah, in his pure humanity, said the same thing he said earlier. (laughs) learned nothing which same kid sometimes same and instead of sighing like I would have done God tells Elijah to go back to where he came from to anoint Hazael king over Aram and anoint Jehu as king over Israel and then Elisha as your successor he even goes further to tell Elijah why Jehu will put to death 
any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. And further adds, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees had not bound down to Baal. So basically, you weren't the only one. Elijah goes and finds Elisha. Now, Elijah was a badass. He was a farmer. Kelly, side note, I come from a family of farmers, and they are badasses, and you will not change my mind. Elijah comes up and throws his cloak over Elisha. Elisha understood this and was like, hey, I'm coming, but I need to tell my parents goodbye. Elijah's like, yeah, totally. So Elisha does. Then he burns his oxen and his farm equipment, you know. Elisha understood the assignment. Then in 1 Kings 20, we find out what real strength is, and it's not Ahab. Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gets 32. 32 other kings with their armies, goes after Samaria, which, if you are interested to know, is the area between the West Bank and modern-day Israel and extended from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River. It was also the Israel territory just north of Judea. This was not a good thing for Israel or Judah. Ben-Hadad tells Ahab, hey, I'm coming for your territory, your silver and gold, the best of your wives and your children. Ahab says, uh, all I have is yours. <laughs> Seriously, very anticlimactic. Ben-Hadad, I think, was also unimpressed with Ahab's response, says to him via messenger, not only will I take all of that, but I'm coming to your home and I'll take all the good stuff out of that too. So there. Ahab's like, not cool, bro. He shows what, what Ben-Hadid says to his council. And they're like, yeah, no way. This is not okay. So Ahab sends the messenger back to Ben-Hadad saying the stuff you asked for first is fine, but it is not okay to take the stuff out of my house. Like, you can totally have my family. I don't care. But you can't take the stuff out of my house. Seriously, he sounds like a whiny teenage girl. Ben-Hadid replies with, I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Not even my men will be able to find you. Ahab's like, oh yeah, you better stop talking like you won when you haven't even fought me yet. So Ben-Hadid told his men to attack. Meanwhile, a prophet comes to Ahab and says, God has a message. He'll give you the vast army coming at you so you will know that he is the Lord. Ahab's like, who will do this? And the prophet is like, the junior officers under the commander's will. Ahab's, uh, uh uh-huh. And who starts the battle? Prophet, you. Ahab's cool with that, sets up the battle plan with the junior officers heading into the battle first. When Ben-Hadad's scouts report seeing the army, Ben-Hadad orders that he wants them taken alive, but the junior officers aren't about to let them get a word in edgewise and starts just killing Ben-Hadid's soldiers, which made the Arameans flee. Israel pursues them, but also Ben-Hadad is on horseback and makes it out. Prophet tells Ahab to strengthen his position further because they will be back to fight next spring. Ben-Hadad had learned from that that mistake has his army reshaped that of the Israelites and wants the battle moved to the plains since it is believed that it was the hills that kept him from winning. And once spring arrives, he does in fact come back to fight Israel. Prophet comes to Ahab and says, Ben-Hadid thinks my power only covers hills and not the rest of the earth. He will lose and you will know that I am the Lord. After seven days of camping across from one another, the battle commences and the Israelites kill 100,000 men the first day. The rest of the soldiers tried to escape but a wall fell on them, killing another 27,000. And Ben-Hadad was like, out of here. His council said, look, we've heard Israel's kings can be merciful. Let's go show them you want to end this, dressing appropriately, of course, and see if he will grant mercy. And sure enough, Ahab gets word that Ben-Hadad wants mercy. Ahab's like, sure, dude, get in my chariot and hammer out these details. 
Ben-Hadad gives the land back, says there will be peace, and Ahab is like, cool beans. You are welcome to live, dude. Meanwhile, we learn if a prophet of God asks you to strike him, you better do it. Because the one guy didn't, and he was eaten by a lion. The next dude heard the rumors and struck the prophet that was asking him to do so. The prophet goes in disguise to the side of the robe. Ahab takes notice, and he says he was tasked to look out for a man, but now the man is gone, and if, if that man is found, this prophet, who's lying will be dead. Ahab is like, yeah, that sounds like a you problem and you deserve what is coming. To which the prophet takes the disguise off and reveals to Ahab, you set a man free that God determined should die. So now you are right a life for a life and you will die. Uh, This really killed the mood for Ahab and he went home and sold. Not surprising. This ends part one. If you want to dive into the next part, it is already uploaded. If you want to take a break, go to the restroom because you drank too much. Part two will be there when you are. (laughs) Thank you.